Well, good morning, friends and family. It is so good to see all of your beautiful faces, wonderful people. Um, last week, we began a brand new teaching series. I prefaced by saying I have been very excited and looking forward to diving into emotionally healthy spirituality. A few months ago, I took about a three-week-long sabbatical retreat, time away, and I asked a bunch of pastor friends of mine, I said, what's a good book for me to read during this time? Like, what's the one book you'd recommend? And multiple people, without a shadow of a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt said, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And that book radically transformed my life, my perspective, my thought process, and uh, it's a book I'll probably read every year. You know those books you're probably just going to read at least once a year? Now, this one has been that way for me, and I felt compelled to journey together as a community through Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And last week, we launched this idea of what it looks like to grow in emotional maturity. The whole tagline of this book by Pete Scazzaro, which, by the way, uh, I'd love for you to get a copy of the book. They are out in the lobby. You can grab one for $10. It's great supplemental reading as you're spending time with Jesus diving into this book as we're journeying together on Sunday mornings in this teaching. The theme throughout this whole book is this idea of you can't become spiritually mature or it's impossible to become spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Last week I quoted uh, M. Scott Peck from his book Road Less Traveled where he opens up by saying life is difficult. We would be naive to think that the world is not broken and without hope. We live in a culture that's trying to find so many different ways to pursue utopia, and yet we are seeing that it is ultimately in decline. The rise of anxiety and depression, addiction, the rise of um, drugs, the opioid crisis, divorce. It is rampant across our society. And I believe that in this, we are able to go into the depths of our soul and dive into what it looks like to pursue wholeness. We talked a little bit about the five components of who we are as humans. Uh, the five components. We're physical beings. We're spiritual beings. We're intellectual beings. We're social beings. But we're also emotional beings. We have emotions and feelings. And for the longest time, the church has said, cover those up. Hide your feelings, tuck them in the closet. They have no place here. We get weirded out when we start talking about emotions and feelings. But we looked at the scriptures, and from Genesis to Revelation, we see that God himself is emotional, that Yahweh has emotions. And for us to experience total transformation, we have to know what it means to be transformed in our emotions and in our feelings. They are so core to who we are. We can't just... Uh, put them aside. We can't just cut off that piece of who we are and not be transformed. The hope here isn't to change your emotions or change your feelings because you've been uniquely wired. The idea here is that we are transformed so that we can thoughtfully reflect and respond to our emotions and feelings under the lordship of Christ Jesus. Under his lordship. Because a lot of us in our emotions and feelings were so quick to react we're so quick to respond. We're triggered individuals. The hope is that through transformation that we will be able to reflect and respond thoughtfully to our emotions and to our feelings in the world around us. Because some of us, if we're honest, are leaking on those around us. We're leaking where we truly are in our soul. 
And we've become numb to that reality because we've never truly experienced our authentic self. We've only mimicked others to become carbon copies of those around us. But the hope is that we grow in self-awareness to learn who we truly are. And I asked the question last week that hopefully probed you a little bit. The question was, have you ever truly met yourself? Have you ever really met yourself? So that was the starting point last week. If you, if you weren't here, hop on iTunes. You can listen to the podcast. I did mention to all of you, I kind of forewarned you, this is a note-heavy teaching. I encourage you to get a journal. I said moleskin. If you really want one, get you a moleskin if you're a real hipster. Okay? Uh, you can use your phone, whatever it may be. But I think there's a lot of content for us. And the, the, the passage today that we're going to be in is in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, in this biography of Jesus. Matthew 10, verse 37 through 39. 37 through 39. And it reads, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. It's one of those hard teachings of Jesus. Here we go. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Jesus is calling all of us to follow him supremely. He is the core of our entire life. He is is Lord. He is a ruler of all. And that we can't divide up our time between who we're following and who we're not. And at times, it will divide even our families. It will divide even our families. This is the very first time that we see Jesus mention the idea of picking up your cross. Very first time. Matthew chapter 10. The first time Jesus mentions the idea of picking up your cross, which is essentially saying, come and die. Come surrender your life so that you might find life. Give up your life. Surrender your life so that you can find it. That's the countercultural way of the kingdom. It's the countercultural way of the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. We believe it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Guide us this morning. Speak to us. Transform us. Help us to grow in our emotional maturity so we can become that much more spiritually mature in this journey of life. That it's not about a destination that we're trying to reach, but about a constant direction, being focused towards you. For a lot of us, we are yards and yards away from you, yet we are focused towards you. And for some of us, we, f- we are close to you, but our eyes and our bodies are turned away. Help us to repent or to turn, to focus in on you and know that you are the ultimate life giver that it requires total surrender and total sacrifice. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. I should have prayed for the Panthers because the Lord knows they need it. Got a new quarterback today. We are praying for Kyle Allen. Don't know who he is. Have no clue. Probably picked him up off the street or something. But anyway, (laughs) over the last two days, I have attended two different weddings, two different weddings, one of which I officiated. It's been crazy. You know, weddings take up like multiple days. You know what I'm talking about? And, and we have a congregation in the community who are in our early 20s, you know, early 30s, and a lot of our friends and family are getting married. 
How many of y'all been like multiple weddings just this year? Multiple weddings, at least two weddings. Or you've been in a wedding. Some of you have been married this year. You just got married. Praise God. And now you're like, why do we get married? You're driving me nuts. You know? And one thing young couples realize quickly, as Jordan and I did, is that the role of family of origin plays in shaping who we are and how we function. Jordan and I do premarital counseling, which I think is funny because we've only been married a little over three years, like we have anything figured out. We more or less just say, this is, not, this is what you should not do, you know. Um, but when we do premarital counseling, we always ask how you have been shaped by your family of origin. How many of you in here are, are married maybe five years, less than five years? Less than five years. Awesome. You are quickly learning your spouse and their kind of nuance or their idiosyncrasies that have trickled down from their family of origin. As much as they deny it, you, you see it. Because the first thing our counselor told us when we were in premarital, he said, the one thing you can't say is you are just like your mama. Or you act just like your daddy. The one thing you don't do, you don't bring up the other family. How many of you have heard that before? Your spouse throws a little jab in there. You just act, you acting just like your mama, right? Now, what's crazy in our situation is I'm married to a woman who's a lot like my mama, which is wild, you know? Our family of origin plays a drastic role in the shaping of who we are, of who we are. The place you are born in, the time you are born in, and the family you are born into has a profound impact on who you are. I would argue that there is no other system, which by the way, we are really a part of a large system in our culture, in our culture, multiple systems. I would argue that no other system in our society impacts our development more than the family system. Not, a, not another system impacts us more than the family system. John Mark Comer says, the single greatest influence on the vast majority of people is our family of origin. Our family of origin, patterns, habits, behaviors, and decisions of our family dramatically form and shape who we are and who we have become. But the question we should ask ourselves is, it should not be who we have become, but who are we becoming? Who are we becoming? But we have to understand that families are the most powerful group to which we will ever belong. Families are the most powerful group to which we will ever belong. And what we tend to do in our hyper-individualistic culture, in our society, even within the church, is to focus on the personal relationship with God. And we tend to separate or disconnect it from the rest of our lives. We tend to silo out our personal relationship with God and we disconnect it from the rest of our reality. It should never be disconnected, but always integrated. Our spirituality should be integrated in every facet of our life. We should never disconnect our spirituality. It's never siloed, but always integrated. We tend to compartmentalize our spirituality from the rest of our lives. It shouldn't be compartmentalized, but integrated, intertwined in who we are. Our holistic transformation into Christ's likeness, or a phrase that I heard Scott, uh, Scott McKnight use this past week. He's a New Testament scholar. He uses the phrase Christoformity. Christoformity. We're being formed into Christ. 
Christ-likeness. Our holistic transformation into Christoformity actually will require us to address the past. To address our family of origin because the past has shaped the present. Your past, my past, has shaped your present. And our past is laden with family of origin patterns, behaviors, and experiences. We even see this in the scriptures, especially in Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. Let's jump back. Jump back to Genesis chapter 12. Shouldn't be hard to find. First book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 12. Go ahead and hop there if you can. The theme for today in this emotionally healthy spirituality journey is going back in order to go forward. Going back in order to go forward. A lot of us are moving forward, but we've never gone back. The call today for us is to stop and go back before we move forward. Genesis chapter 12, it'll be on the screen starting in verse 10. It says this, page 6 of my Bible, in case you wanted to know. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the, uh, the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Which, by the way, she's 75. She must have been fine. I mean, I don't 75 years old and rocking it, okay? What a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister. Okay, here, here comes the dysfunction. So that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. This is quintessential manipulation. Abram is manipulating his wife, who he wants to be called his sister, so that he, his life is spared. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Man, he's getting it all. Buffet of goods. I mean, who doesn't want some camels, some cattle, some Gucci loafers, whatever you want. I don't care. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Abram, soon to be called Abraham, is... Known to be the father of faith, God chooses a family to seek to restore humanity. After the flood, after Noah, he uses a family, Abram. He wants to use his family to restore humanity. And from the get-go, Genesis chapter 12, we see dysfunction seeded into this family. We see manipulation, we see lying, we see deceit. And if we continued on reading... Into Genesis chapter 20, 
few chapters later to the right in your Bible, Abraham still refers to his wife as his sister. Still. His name's already been changed to Abraham. He's still calling Sarah his sister. Then in Genesis 26, Abraham's son Isaac lies and refers to his wife, Rebekah, as sister. Dysfunction. Then once Isaac has his son Jacob, Jacob's name in the Hebrew is heel grabber, which actually is a Hebrew idiom referring to him as a con man or a cheat or a liar. And then from Jacob, you go down into Joseph. And we know that whole story, Joseph and the coat of many colors. You talk about dysfunction in the family. We see that seated with Abram. In this family, we see a pattern of lying, parental favoritism, estranged sibling relationships, and unhealthy marriages and infidelity that trickle down into multiple generations. In the scriptures, when we see the idea of family, Understand, we, we typically would see through our um, 21st century Western lens where it's just our first generation. In the scriptures, family really speaks to third and fourth generation. Third and fourth generation is the constant idea of what family represents. And, and the dysfunction that began with Abram continued on into Isaac and then also into Jacob as well, and eventually Joseph. Our, our family of origin and past play a vital role in our emotional and spiritual maturity. Exodus 34 shows us that the consequence of a generation of sin can trickle down to the third and fourth generation. Some of us have Jesus in our hearts, but grandpa in our bones. Sin trickles down multiple generations, consequences because of past behaviors, patterns, and experiences. Here is, here is a study given by Paul Amato and Daniel De, De Boer indicated that if a woman's parents divorced, her odds of divorce raised, are raised 69%. While if both a husband and wife come from divorce, the risk of divorce increases by 189%. Dysfunction trickles down. And some of you are like, oh, that's my reality. We're going to get to the beautiful piece to the story here in just a second, but we have to become aware of this. One study also suggests that children of addicts are eight times more likely to develop an addiction. Awareness of reality. Mental health is a constant dedication to reality. To reality. Here's some common generational patterns. And maybe some of these you have seen in your own family. Common generational patterns. I want you to see them on the screen. Divorce, which in our culture is rampant. Alcoholism. Addictive behaviors. Sexual abuse. Poor and unhealthy marriages mistrust of authority, misuse of money, slothfulness or laziness, and comparison. These are just a handful of generational patterns that maybe you recognize and can see in your family of origin. 
there's a process that you can go through if you want to get really in-depth, in depth, which I would encourage you to do, and it's called a genogram. A genogram. A genogram helps you to map out a tree of your family and go through and look at some of the experiences, patterns, and behaviors of your family and make note of them so that you can go, grow in your own self-awareness. Why? Because your past and your family of origin shape your present and who you are today. And these are just some patterns we have seen in our culture. Dr. Rachel Yehuda, who is a doctor at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York, conducted a research study a few years ago, which created some controversy, but it's in the field of epigenetics. Epigenetics. And she took a handful of Holocaust survivors who spent time in concentration camps, took a handful of Holocaust survivors, and isolated one specific stress hormone one stress hormone, and found that that same isolated stress hormone was present in the next generation and in the next generation and in the next generation. Why is that? Because our environment and our experiences shape who we are, and emotional pain never dies. It only transfers to the next generation. Here are 10 family patterns for us to Consider how our family deals with some of these different patterns. The first one is money. Whoo, that's a big one. Money. Anybody, anybody married and both families are totally different with their approach to money? Big spenders and big savers? Yes, maybe that's just my wife and I. Hello. Yes, there's a couple of you. Okay. The second one is conflict patterns. How does your family approach conflict? Some families are very passive or, shall I say, passive-aggressive. Some families isolate themselves. Some families get real heated, like real aggressive, real loud. You know, I was uh, at my brother-in-law's wedding a couple days ago, and uh, Jordan's extended family is like Polish. They're all from Buffalo area, and they're all sitting around the table. And I went up to Tom, who's like the patriarch, and I'm like, I feel like I'm at a mafia meeting or something, man. And it was, it was crazy. But the culture is so different, even to see how they function and interact together. Third thing is sex. Pattern of sex. How is sex, sex talked about? How is it displayed in our families? What are the patterns of sex? Or even um, male-female relationships. Misogyny. Um, chauvinism. Um, feminism. I, I don't know. Whatever it is for your own, your own family. Grief and loss. How do we handle grief and loss in our family? What are some patterns we've seen? Expressing anger. Anybody come from quick-triggered families? Yes. Come on. All the rednecks raise their hand. Mm-hmm. My daddy pull a gun out so quick, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, Dad, it's me, it's me, it's me, you know. Expressing anger. I know for me, this is, this is one that's big is expressing anger. I know you're shocked by that, but it's okay. I'm being transformed daily. All right. Jordan, on the other hand. I'm kidding. Uh, the sixth one is family. What does family patterns look like? Relationships, attitudes towards different cultures. Maybe some of us came from a racist background or came from a discriminatory background and cultures or we come from ethnocentric backgrounds or we think our culture is the way to do life and the only way to do life. Our culture is preeminent. Or maybe success, even our patterns of success or even feelings and emotions. These are patterns throughout our family of origin. And Pete Scazzaro in his book says, the great problem, here's the problem. The great problem, of course, is when our family's invisible scripts are contrary to Christ's. 
And some of you are like, man, my family's amazing. They're awesome. And maybe they are, but here's the reality. They are flawed, broken humans, just like you. And there has been moments of hurt and pain and challenge and suffering and behaviors that have come to fruition that they probably may regret or have guilt over. Or some of you are like, man, you don't even know my story. Like, I'm not even, I can't even, I'm not even, get, I'm, not, I'm not even getting into my past. There's no way. I'm not getting into my family of origin. It is messy. It is disgusting, quite honestly. It's dirty. But what I'm learning about all of us is that we must to experience liberation and freedom. To grow in spiritual maturity. Why? Because our past shapes our present. Shapes our present. So we have to be able to almost objectively pull ourselves back Put all the cards on the table, these patterns in our family that we see, and go, wow, that, that, that connects to here. And, man, that, that connects to here. And, man, that, I've seen that over and over again. So we can be able to continue to grow in self-awareness, which we talked about is a very uh, undervalued discipline in the faith journey, or for believers in general, or for people in general. We're just not aware. So here's, here's the deal. Two key elements of going back in order to go forward. Two key elements. The first one is that my past has played a part in my present. You need to understand this reality. Your past has played a role in your present. The problem for a lot of us is that we are numb to that reality and we have been operating under self-denial for a long time. We have to know that my past has played a role in my present. A couple months ago, a lot of you know that Jordan had hip surgery. And um, Jordan, out of the hospital, was given medication and meds, a ton of meds. We had tons of drugs in our house. It was nuts. And the medicine was given to numb the pain. It was a short stint of numbing. Once the numbing goes away, the pain resurfaces. A lot of us have self-medicated in short stints to try to numb pain that is still present. It is still there. For some of us, we have turned to um, a love of our body image, trying to appeal to men or women in a very unhealthy way. Um, For some of us, we have turned to money, turned to other idols like maybe work, we workaholics. Some of us, it's addiction. It might actually be drugs or alcohol. Um, for some of us, it's created identity confusion. Um, for some of us, it has resulted in um, anger and rage that is seated deep within us. For some of us, it's turned to um, overeating or gluttony. I mean, how many of you, when you, in your feelings, you look like a nutty professor, just, just stuffing your face with ice cream, you know what I mean? Or you may be someone who doesn't eat enough to self-medicate, and to numb, and to escape reality. But one thing you and I can't never escape is the truth and reality. What we have to do to experience liberation, freedom, and life is we actually have to go into the pain, into the suffering. So we have to ask the questions, what, where are the patterns of my family out of sync with the pattern, patterns of Jesus? Where are the patterns of my family out of sync with the patterns of Jesus? 
objectively, let's take a look honestly at our family. Where are their patterns in our family, as great as they are or as horrible as they are, where are they out of sync and be able to objectively pull those out and say, which ones will I continue to operate in or which ones do I have to fully disconnect from? The second, the second piece here, this is key. This is where there is hope, is that my past doesn't have to determine my future. Now, I, I have put in my notes have to in parentheses because your past can determine your future if you allow it to. But it doesn't have to. Because of the cross of Christ, because of newness and transformation, your past doesn't have to determine your future. We are not machines or robots. We are autonomous beings created in the image of God. And for a lot of us, what we have done is we've lived this jack-in-the-box life where we suppress our feelings down, suppress our emotions, suppress our past down, only for them later in the present to just pop up. We suppress and push them down, hurt, pain, suffering, things my parents said to me, experiences I had, ways that men treated me, addictions I've had in the past. We suppress them all the way down only for them to pop back up in the present because they've never been dealt with before. You've never experienced true freedom. J.I. Packer, who's an incredible theologian, great book called Knowing God, says, Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Here's the beautiful piece of hope. When you become a follower of the way of Jesus, when you become new, you are adopted into a new family, into a new spiritual family, where now your greatest identity isn't your biological family. It is the family of God, God as Father. We are followers of Jesus, all of us. We become brothers and sisters. We become co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Not only is, is, is God our, our Savior and he's king, now he is Father. And Jesus is our brother. We are adopted into a new family. Common language in the New Testament, all throughout Paul's epistles, epistles especially in Romans chapter 8, is the idea of adoption. You and I, when we put our trust in Jesus, by his grace, because we don't deserve to be in his family, by the way, by his grace, he has given us the invitation to say, come be part of my family. Because your family is broken. Honor your family, but obey me. Because your family is beautiful, and I love them as much as I love you, but there's dysfunction and brokenness, and you're only going to experience wholeness by operating in the way that my family operates. He's invited us to a new family. My past doesn't have to determine my future. Discipleship requires putting off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and relearning how to do life God's way in God's family. That's the key point. If there's nothing else that you take away from today, that's the key point of the teaching today. Discipleship requires putting off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and relearning how to do life God's way in God's family. You're like, but I love my family. I want to do what they did. But here's the problem. There's probably seeds of dysfunction and there's disobedience in the family. And Jesus is calling us to abundant life, life to the full. We referenced this last week, John 10.10. Jesus came to give abundant life. He has a plan for us that is good and it's beautiful. Now, it's hard and challenging. Why? Because our flesh will get agitated, irritated. 
Because when we have numbed our reality for so long, we've gotten used to experiencing that reality over and over and over again. It's all we've ever known. For a lot of women who've experienced prostitution, and they come out of prostitution and out of human trafficking, they have a hard time adjusting because they've experienced so much pain and suffering. That's become their reality and their norm. But the Lord is calling us to go back so that we can be set free to go forward. That is what the Lord's calling us to. And you can only go forward in the future to the degree you have healed from your past. You can only go forward in the future to the degree you have healed from your past. And a band-aid for a lot of us isn't going to work. A lot of us need intense surgery. We need to go under a microscope. And we need to do it in trusted community. And I hate to be honest, but some of us, our friends probably aren't the best for that. They're not trained for that. Um, I have experienced a lot of time in counseling over the last seven years, eight years, nine years, decade. And it's liberating. I'm a massive proponent of seeking counseling or Throughout the centuries, there's a phrase um, called a spiritual director. Um, Matter of fact, pastors in most of the early centuries, their primary role was spiritual direction. Functioned a little bit more like um, counselors than they did proclaimers or preachers. But it's an investment. But surgery is an investment too. We saw the bill that Jordan got from her surgery. I was like, Lord Jesus, thank you for college, insurance, and athletics for taking care of this. Because <laughs> I was like, I could get me a brand new Tahoe with the cost of that surgery. You know? Crazy. It's an investment. You and I have some, and to be honest too, I've learned something over the last two days with weddings. Like, weddings are beautiful. We put up to $30,000 in weddings and put nothing into a marriage. We put no money into a marriage. Seriously. Some people ask us, hey, you have a recommendation for a counselor? I do. How much does it cost? $125 an hour. You're like, oh my God. What? Yeah, but you're spending $1,000 on some silverware. And then we wonder why marriage is in such an unhealthy place in our culture. We've elevated an event and have, have totally wiped out marriage. One of the best things we can do in our culture, in our secular moment, as followers of the way of Jesus, as husband and wife, is to profess and to show what a beautiful, God-honoring, biblical, Jesus-centered marriage looks like. Because the world looks at us and laughs. (laughs) But a lot of us need to invest in counseling, a spiritual director, a mentor, someone's older. If you need that resource, I want to provide that for you. And I'm the first one. I'll be the first in line. There's a couple guys here that have been to the counselor I see. He's amazing. You can only go forward in the future to the degree you have healed from the past. My first activity I did in my first session with my counselor here in Greensboro, he gave me a list. He said, I want you to make a a top 10 list of traumatic events that happened in your life and rate them on a scale of 1 to 10 as to how they affect you today. And there are things that were like a 7 to 8 I never thought about. 
For some of you, they're at like a 10. You have multiple, multiple events in your life that you have to go back in order to go forward. But you don't just go back to learn why. A lot of us like to go back and learn why. You don't go back to learn why. You go back to be set free. Because reality, we're walking around in chains. We're outside of the jail cell, but we're in chains. And Jesus is standing at the door of the jail cell with a key. And you've got to go back and get set free so that you can fully live. Did you know that the sin done to you and by you and around you can be broken by the power of Jesus? That's what healing is. Healing. I need healing. I came from a great family. But I need healing. One of the areas of my life I struggle with so so profoundly is that I care so deeply about what others think of me. My value tends to be what I do, what I create, what I, how I succeed in life. I'm three on the Enneagram, the achiever. I care about what I do, what I create, sometimes to a fault where it becomes idol, idolistic. I need healing. You don't just go back to learn why. You go back to be set free, set free to live. You can't be transformed from what you don't see. You can't be transformed from what you can't see. Ruth Haley Barton, who is a phenomenal writer on spiritual formation, spiritual direction, she has multiple books out there. She says, most of us would like to go on a faith journey that doesn't require any faith. To go into your past requires immense courage, trust, and faith. She says, when we fail to name reality reality accurately, we are left to wander around in the wilderness of illusions because we're hiding from ourselves and from God. Our past is reality, and it's shaped our present, but it doesn't have to determine our future. Jesus himself entered into the story entered into humanity to address the past in the present so that it would change the course of the future. Jesus could easily just jump in and said, we're just going to wipe all that clean. It's going to keep on walking. He comes in and he addresses what happened hundreds and hundreds of years before in the present so that we as the people of God can walk forward in wholeness into the kingdom with him and experience that new reality not bound by our past by our forefathers and mothers we're going to have a moment today this is not something I plan to do but we're going to do it we're going to have a moment where I'm, I just want to open up this like altar it's not really an altar but we're going to make it one today um, because some of you need to make a, a step towards this journey and I believe that there is power in, in just stepping forward Um, It's a journey into your past, into the pain and suffering that has come from many experiences in your life, relationships, parents, abuse, addiction, marriage, um, whatever it may be. And this moment today is really just a step towards that journey. This isn't completing the journey. This is actually beginning the journey of going into our past so that we can experience emotional maturity because our emotions have been bound to our past. So let's close our eyes this morning.